You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. SeaKayakRoots.com. I'm Simon Willis, and I reckon this podcast has cost me about £5,000. When I recorded it, I made the mistake of having Liz, my wife, in the room with me. Together, we listened to Doug Cooper, the head of paddle sport at Glenmore Lodge, talk so passionately about sea kayaking in Greenland. We were both salivating at the end of the recording. We almost signed up on the spot for the Lodge's 2008 trip. Which would give us the time to raise the money, I suppose. Anyway, I better get in quick because once you hear this, I know where you'll want to go. Here's Doug Cooper. Paddling in Greenland for me, um, having been fortunate enough to paddle all around the world, if somebody was to say, Doug, you can only paddle in one country for the rest of your life abroad, then for me it would be kind of Greenland for sure. And and for a number of reasons. Partly um, the historical content. At the end of the day, it was the Inuits who started sea kayaking and all of our modern boat designs are based from Inuit designs. So to go back and paddle in the place where which is the home of kind of sea kayaking is really special so there's the historical parts there's then the early Greenland exploration with explorers like Gino Watkins and the like learning how to kayak bringing those knowledges back to Europe so there's that package which is stunning and then the scenery and the exploration which is available out there the, the scenery is just unbelievable and you've got kind of the, the mixture of the ocean seas the fjord seas you can go for kind of the, the rough ocean swell you can go for the more sheltered fjords um, mix in with that you've got the ice and if you speak to anybody who's paddled in, in ice before you'll see their eyes twinkle and a far away look as they, they're kind of remembering uh, these magical experiences and, and the ice you've got icebergs which are the size of multi-story houses um, you can be paddling amongst you've got the sea ice which is the flat ice where it's frozen and as it floats down the east coast or down the west coast and it's just masses of just flat sea ice completely different again and then you've got the brash ice which is where it's carved off the glaciers it's smashed to smithereens and it's got lots of small ice cubes in the water so they the ice is constantly changing and requires judgment, experience, skill to make the right decisions with it. And then you've got into the melting pot there, you've got the mountains around you and you've got um, 4,000 foot rock walls, you've got kind of snowy peaks, half have been climbed, half haven't been climbed, you've got glaciers cascading down into the, the ocean. Wildlife-wise, it's not the, the best wildlife in the world. There's other places I'd suggest to go purely for the wildlife. Uh, but you still are seeing humpback whales. You are still seeing minke whales and seeing seals. So you've got that world-class kind of scenery and you've got uh, the wildlife as well. And for exploration, hey, there's not that many people paddling out there. And there's coastlines, there's headlands, there's fjords, which really haven't been explored. So you can go as committing or as non-committing as you wish. And if you want to do a two-month self-support trip and paddle a bit of coastline, which is rarely if ever been paddled, you can do it out there. If you want to fly out there for a couple of weeks, holiday along more sheltered fjords, which people have been, but there's more uh, room for manoeuvre um, with regards to safety point of view, you can do that as well. Before we come on to your experiences, tell me about the practical side of things. If you're an independent traveller, captivated by what you've just said, how do you organise a, a kayaking trip to Greenland? I mean, are there boats out there? Do you have to take your own? If you take your own, how do you air freight them? Where can you stay? Is it 
particularly expensive. Uh, just, just some practical stuff, first of all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the practical side of Greenland would be the other draw to it because it's not easy. And for me, the world is becoming a smaller and smaller place and it's easier and easier to fly into almost any country in the world, find an outfitter and go sea paddling. And that's not quite the case in the majority of Greenland. So you still have to plan and execute kind of a, uh, your plan to succeed in many venues in Greenland. So in my mind, you can still have a, a real expedition out there as opposed to an outfitter's kind of uh, custom-made trip out there. And things to consider, flights out to Greenland would generally be via... Iceland, Denmark, um, or from Canada. And again, they're few and far between. They're not daily flights. You have to kind of work those out. Once you get yourself to Greenland, then there's only, again, a, a smattering of airfields around the coast. So you then have to think, where do you want to paddle from there? And do you want to paddle from the airfield? Do you need to kind of get a connection? The connection could be the helicopter service in Greenland. It could be a local ferry, or you may have to charter a boat to kind of get you dropped off where you want to. So just you getting where you need to go is the first bit. Is this all organisable on the internet? It's getting easier and easier these days. If you'd have asked me this question 15, 16 years ago when I first organised trips out there, then no, it wasn't. But these days, it's uh, to organise a trip in Greenland these days is as easy as it's ever been. And yes, uh, a lot of this is organised over the internet, which is fantastic. How do you get a boat out there? Boats and the gear is, is the most kind of exciting. Um, read into that challenging. <laughs> there, there, are, there are a few kind of, there are becoming more boats in Greenland where you can borrow boats in Greenland. So in some of the main towns on the west coast and in Amazlik on the east coast, there's a, a small selection of boats which you maybe have to kind of hire out there. So that's great. There's limited choice, but there are some boats out there. So you may be not fussy about your boats, have a limited amount of time, and then you could get information and find boats you can borrow out there. So you can get some boats? You can get some boats, but of course the boats, there may not be enough boats for your group. You may be going to a place where there isn't any boats or you may be doing an expedition where the boats which you can get out there aren't suitable. So therefore you've got to look at getting your own boats out there. And the way to get your own boats out is to freight your own boats. And all food and everything that goes into Greenland is freighted. So there's a very good freight service into Greenland. They're used to freighting stuff into Greenland, so therefore organising it is relatively straightforward so uh, in the past all the boats all the times I've kayaked out there I've freighted my boats in when you mean freight you mean stick them in great big containers and take them out there by ship absolutely yeah so to give it a bit of a concept um, the paddling weather window in Greenland is limited by the ice and depending on what part of Greenland you go into that could be any time from early July to late September and some parts of Greenland it may only be uh, August or a few weeks in August which is available so if you were doing a, an August month's kayaking trip you'd need to freight your kit out there to freight your kit out the freight would normally leave about six to eight weeks before so for my august trips i'm usually um freighting my stuff out in the first week of june so you need to arrange with your a, a kind of a, a freight organizer in your country whether it be a uk or further afield get the freight organized a long way in advance and then your boats and your gear needs to be packed up ready to go in june if you're just taking plastic boats out, then that may just consist of a bit of bubble wrap around the boats and they'll be fine. If you're taking fiberglass boats out like I have done in the past, you may be wanting to uh, either build a proper wooden container so the boats are safe within the big freighting container or a polystyrene-based kind of container. You have to build your own? Yes. So that's the all Nobody they comes along and has a kayak container to stick it in? Unfortunately not, no. So, no, right. so yeah. all you do is you're just hiring space within the big commercial container. So, and uh, take out a repair kit when you go and take a repair kit so when I've with glass boats I'd be kind of creating my own uh, container to 
put the boats in within the container. And they're pretty switched on at the other end for, for having kayakers arrive, uh, presumably in the major places. So are they? Oh, you're looking at me sceptically. <laughs> uh, in Greenland, then, uh, no. no they're, they're, they're switched on to receiving freight. Um, right. So they're switched on to receiving freight, and then your kayaks or your box with your boats in will just be kind of uh, dumped to one side, and it will hopefully be there in one piece when you get there. So you turn up with your forklift truck. No, you don't have one of those. You turn up there with an axe, smash open your crate, and hope the boats are in there and have to carry them somewhere. Yes. Right. But right. where all container ships come in are obviously on the coast, so mm-hmm. you're normally just pushing them into the water alongside and then paddling them from there, either around to the boat which you've chartered or that's where you're starting your trip from and away you go. All right, we've got the boats there. Uh, what do you eat? So if you're really brave, um, you could go out there with your thrown stick and eat seal, but for, for most I wouldn't recommend that. Um, so Actually, are you allowed to? Yes, yeah, like the that's the way they survive and they live out there, so kind of uh, ev- everything's fair game <laughs> within there. But they, but they do have quotas on their whales, so um, you couldn't just kind of go and eat, feed off whales uh, as you wish. Um, there's quote, strict quotas for whales, but for the seals... The image of somebody chasing a whale in a kayak. <laughs> um, so, but no, so, so food's uh, a key thing, to be honest, so you need to be thinking about how you get into Greenland, you need to be thinking how you're getting your equipment and what equipment are you taking. Mm-hmm. What you're wearing will depend a little bit where you're going, and if you're going in a, an area with a lot of sea ice where you may be dragging kayaks over flat ice and sea ice then dry suits are essential if you're in a le- an area which is more ice free so you're going to be kayaking then a, a two piece system would work fine the thought of capsizing out there really you can't the sea water's two degrees so you need to be thinking very carefully about your equipment um, tents etc need to be mountain based tents because although you're at sea level uh, I've had winds up to 70 to 80 miles an hour at sea level so you need mountain based tents presumably geodesics or self support they work very well yeah so geodesics um, you may be camping on places where there's no pegs can work yeah. so you need to be thinking about either snow valances for sure. rocks or kind of other alternatives so that gear is really important stoves is essential you can't buy gas out there so therefore petrol based stoves is usually the only way to work it um, so you you can buy meths in some places, so tranches could work, um, but uh, your petrol-based stoves would be the standard and that would be easy to get the fuel out there. So Probably need- best to ship them out as well because people are getting... I was just reading something about some, some planes just more recently being very twitchy about putting stoves in, in, in hand luggage or regular luggage, even uh, if they've got no fuel anywhere near them. Absolutely, yeah. So when you freight your boats out, then you'd usually be freighting your, your stoves out and most really freighting your tents out as well, and that saves weight on the flight in because mm. the if you're using helicopter-based transport, within Greenland and the flights are quite strict on the weight and then of course there's food um, to fly in with the food isn't going to work so you won't have the weight load so then you've got the option of buying food within Greenland or pre-packing it you can buy food within Greenland but the, the selection is perhaps a little bit more limited so if you've got a small team and you've researched the town you're going to they may have really good supermarkets and you could most really put together expedition food for a small team to be honest I'd usually suggest for peace of mind if you're a bigger team or you go for a longer length of time is to pre-pack and get all your food in your country and freight your food out with the boats and then your food could be your own expedition decks whatever you prefer from that are there twitches in the united states about 
British meat, because I know you just can't take British meat into the US, even in freeze-dried stuff at the moment. No, they're, they're not very twitchy about many things in Greenland, to be honest, and they're not even twitchy about your passport on your land, so, so it's, it's fairly relaxed from that point of view. So you, you'd be able to kind of create your own expedition menu as you wished for, for getting kind of stuff in there. The top tip for that is if you're packing your stuff up, to be very careful packing food inside the bulkheads of your boat, because all boats, no matter how old they are, they'll give off a, a fiberglass smell, and that smell will get into your food and taste. And so likewise with plastic boats, so through bitter experience I've had plastic and fiberglass tasting food on previous expeditions, so I'd suggest, although it seems a good idea to pack your food in the bulkheads for freighting it out there, definitely don't do it and save yourself um, some nicer tasting food. So where do you go? Give me a pen portrait of what, what's where on Greenland, where can you aim for and what the conditions like? You'll have the kind of the choice of east coast, west coast or south coast. If you're looking for more challenging logistics, more remoter coastlines, more ice dependent, more weather dependent than the east coast, that's what it offers you. Read into that, spectacular, remote, phenomenal. However, it is the more challenging of the coastlines to organise trips to. What would the weather be like and when's the weather window there? The weather generally is kind of pretty settled on the east coast, generally, but the, it's going to be the ice window which you'd need to be kind of looking at and the ice window would normally be in that kind of month of August to early September. How um, reliable is that? In this day and age it's not reliable. Mm. Um, it's really varying. The, the thing to do is to check out with the Danish Meteorological Institute, uh, which is www.dmi.dk and they will have all the ice charts and the ice charts are updated weekly so if you're planning to go to an area you can study the ice the year before and you'll get an idea what the ice is likely to be in that area so the ice would be that the main make or break to get there you'd usually be flying into Kulasuk which is near Amazlik or Constable Point which is near Skorsbysund and that would be your two starting points and from those points you'd be chartering boats or starting from there both phenomenal paddling areas um, but logistics equipment are good if you're just working from those areas but of course you've got uh, 800 miles of east coast to explore so to go further afield um, there's some real good ex exploratory expedition country out there to go to. It sounds like it would be a shame somewhere like that to do have to do a loop trip. It is it is possible to do a kind of a one-way trip and arrange with a boat to pick you up at a certain place at a certain time is it? Uh, yes, yes, it's quite possible to do that. And I've done it a, a few different ways. And I've, to be honest, I've usually kind of got the drop off at the start and I've checked to see where the ice is coming from. And I'll get the drop off to take us up into the ice and then you're paddling back away from the ice so therefore if you get a pick up at the end then you've got that worry of will the boat be able to get there or if the ice comes and you'll get stuck so mm -hmm. I'll often get a drop off and that way during the drop off you can recce the amount of ice and make a more informed kind of on the water decision but but yes you can hire boats to drop you off or pick you up to have a to save an out and back trip if you wish Okay, South Coast? Uh, South Coast is a, a fantastic playground and that gives a, a real combination of more ice free zone but lots of ice, the ice comes down the east coast and pokes its nose around Cape Fowell which is the southern tip and the South Coast would technically be the southwest coast which would be uh, Nautilic or Nassasawak would be the two kind of main bases, there's a, an international airport at Nassasawak so starting from there or get an internal helicopter to uh, 
Corkatech, Juliana Harb, or Nanortalik would work. There are some boat outfitters in Nasarsawak and in Nanortalik, and from there it gives you an option of uh, outside coasts, some fantastic fjord-based paddling. It gives options of paddling up to glaciers. The mountain scenery in the south is famous for its big rock walls, four to five thousand foot rock walls, as well as the ice cap, as well as the glaciers. So for a variety of scenery paddling, south coast is stunning. Ease of getting to, fraction more easier than the east coast. With regards to outfitters, there's a couple of outfitters uh, or places you can hire boats for in the south. And the only downside is the weather is a little bit more inclement down there because on the southern tip it has the worst weather. So you have a, a longer paddling window from early July through to end of September because it's more ice-free generally. Having said that, out there last year we were stuck in the ice for quite a few weeks. Um, so generally it's more ice-free, but the weather is far more inclement down there. And the west? Uh, the west is where most of the um, settlements are. So again, getting to the west is the easiest place to all to get to, unless you go to the far northwest, which then would start getting akin to the east coast. But the east, the west would be the more popular areas to go into because there's easy flights in. Again, there's some outfitters up there, and the, the scenery would give you kind of reasonable variety, but maybe not quite as kind of uh, remote and wild as the east coast. But on the flip side, it gives you still stunning mountains, stunning ice, glaciers, etc., with perhaps a little bit more room for manoeuvre because there's a little bit more population um, in that neck of the woods. So if the east coast was just a bit too necky between that south and southwest and the west, which is the second more interesting area, would you say? I would say that the, sa- uh, the southwest, I'd say, is stunning. Yeah. Um, so the southwest really gives you, at times, the, uh, the dramatic scenery and the remoteness of the east coast, but it's more accessible. The west coast, then there's still some beautiful paddling to be had up there, um, but uh, it's more interspersed with kind of lower-lying islands and, and kind of habitation. At the end of the day, when you come ashore, what are you coming ashore on? Are you just pulling up on an ice floe, or well, I can't quite get my head around that. Uh, the, the kind of the time of year out there, then the snow's kind of all generally melted, so you're, you're landing on kind of a, on anything from a sandy beach to kind of a, a bouldery beach. So, so the landings are generally reasonable, sometimes few and far between, but generally reasonable. You'd usually be finding a, a kind of a, a rounded, bouldered beach or a, a sandy beach uh, to land on. And if that wasn't available, then um, if you're in the inner fjords area, there's not so much swell. So uh, ice and water-worn rocks are, are relatively nice, flat, slabby areas of rocks to pull up. Um, so to pull out on is often not too bad. To find campsites can sometimes be a bit challenging because obviously you're on a coastline with big mountains cascading straight down into the fjords so the campsites can sometimes be few and far between are the maps good and are they any help at finding them uh, the maps are uh, 1 to 250,000 and they were surveyed in 1932. There are some uh, nautical charts uh, at 1 to 50,000 you can get for some areas, but they're of limited use. Having done some mountaineering expeditions, the maps are of very little use, so you tend to be working with aerial photos or Google Earth. The coastline features on the 1 to 250,000 maps are actually surprisingly good because the coastlines were quite accurately surveyed, where obviously the glaciers and the mountain areas have changed or are less well surveyed. So as a, a trip planning and a reasonable navigation then the 1 to 250,000 maps are actually surprisingly good once you get your head around the scale but these days with the advent of Google Earth and it's kind of a opened up the expedition paddlers amongst us because you can be checking it out through the, the satellite system as opposed to kind of second guessing it Are there hazards in the form of bears or is it just mosquitoes? 
Uh, it depends again what part of Greenland you're in. Uh, the, the polar bears tend to travel uh, via the sea ice, and so by the nature of the fact that generally when we're sea paddling, you're paddling in the area when the sea ice is dispersed, then bears are not necessarily high risk. But of course, if you're up on the east coast, and particularly if you're up in the northeast, or likewise if you're up in the northwest, then bears would be a consideration. And for some of those areas, you'd need to take kind of firearms with you and get permits for that. So for some areas, bears would be a kind of a concern, but and many of the areas there'd be less of a concern so the the main challenge is getting used to the the wee black flies and some of the mosquitoes but uh having spent a lifetime of paddling in scotland i still don't rate them worse than the scottish midges to be honest and uh the slightest breeze in their away and uh, a mosquito net to kind of stop the annoyance then they're they're bearable and once you're on the sea then they're obviously not there you said you've been going there for 15 years you obviously like the place it's amazing. Like, I, I did my first expedition out there in, in 1991, and I'm on expedition number nine at the moment, and some of my trips have been three-month trips up on the ice cap, climbing mountains and uh, living out of sledges, and some of them have been six-week trips self-support up the east coast of Greenland by sea kayak. So for for a kind of a, an explorer at heart, which I'd class myself as, then there's arguably no greater playground in the world, whether it be on the sea or in the mountains, than Greenland. We're having this conversation here at Glenmore Lodge. Are you still running trips there? Because I remember actually we first went sea kayaking with, with you. We did a week's course here and it was fantastic. But the worst thing about it was, and it was the worst thing, was the slideshow you gave us about Greenland. Because we just wanted to go there. We weren't good enough to go there because we'd have probably killed ourselves if we'd been at come that summer. So tell us, um, you know, do you still do those trips? And uh, what standard do you have to be, really, if you wanted to come along on a Glenmore Lodge course? Uh, we do. We're, we still run kind of a, a very uh, popular and successful kind of expedition out there each summer. Uh, and we base ourselves on the, the southern tip because, again, I think that gives the the best kind of a paddling conditions from a sea ice point of view. So you're guaranteed to see sea ice, but touch wood, it shouldn't be so much that it's going to stop us paddling. And it gives the access to the, the mountains, the glaciers, the works. We do a 12-day a, a self-support trip out there, and I've got um, a fleet of kayaks P&H Capella kayaks, so it's single performance uh, plastic boats we use out there and we will pack our boats for 12 days worth of uh, food and we'll go and explore the southern tip of Greenland and up into the fjords and a self-support uh, journey into some of the most spectacular kind of uh, scenery there is in the world I'd suggest. One of the things I didn't ask you before, and perhaps you address this question as part of that, is cost. How much is it to come with you guys, and how much would you say, are you looking at, I know you can't give a precise price, but a ballpark figure for someone organising their own. <clears throat> Leave aside maybe the flights, but in terms of, of shipping, perhaps internal flights and renting a boat, because oh, I've never hired a helicopter for, in Greenland, and I've never hired a boat in Greenland. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know whether it's actually possible to do in, in terms of a sensible budget for for a few people yep and so if you're kind of working out yourself depending a little bit how remote you're going and how much kind of hiring of of charter boats etc you were doing but if you were going to be doing a perhaps a, a two-week trip uh, where you were hiring one charter boat to collect you or to drop you off you were freighting your expedition gear out there then if you were budgeting on between f or for a group of say six people so you're, d you're distributing that between six people uh, if you're budgeting between 600 and a thousand pounds plus your flights to Greenland and that would be a reasonable That's budget each, each yeah. yeah so it's the flights to Greenland uh, from the UK coming at about 900 pounds return uh, door to door 
and that would be UK to Denmark flights or UK to Iceland flights it would be Iceland or Denmark to Greenland flights and then it would be perhaps a helicopter flight uh, internal as well so if you include all that flight package that would be about £900 return and if you were to add about £600 a person on top of that then or 600 to a thousand pounds on top of that then that would be given you your internal logistics freight food uh, kind of budget so it, it might would come with you uh, with the, the lodge, I should say. Uh, so coming with kind of Glamour Lodge, then the expedition is uh, fifteen hundred and fifty pounds plus flight. So you're talking about kind of two thousand four hundred all in, and that that's all your food and everything. And all you have to do is kind of uh, read all the information I give you, and I'll organise kind of uh, everything else. So you, it's really just kind of pitching up at the airport and then coming and enjoying uh, uh, an expedition of a lifetime, really. That was Doug Cooper, Greenland enthusiast and head of paddle sport at Glenmore Lodge, Scotland's National Outdoor Training Centre. So, in the summer of 2008, don't expect too many podcasts. Remember, I post two each month, one at the start and one in the middle. The timing's dictated by Apple Macintosh and the way they bill me. Anyway, I'm Simon Willis. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. out how easy it is to subscribe to all our free programs visit our website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk 